It's that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Big shout out to everybody that is listening in that keeps on coming back. Tell your friends you enjoy this podcast if you do, and so they can join in the fun as well. So, big episode for you. It's going to be an interesting one, I can tell you that. Uh, a lot to cover. Our special guest is a guy by the name of Ant Sisley. Uh, originally came from Zimbabwe, lives in Melbourne, Australia now. Long history in era modelling, so it's a, it's a really interesting story that he has to tell. So stay tuned for that. But before we do... Let's go and have a look at what's happening around the traps. Well, what has been happening? There's a lot coming up. We're still sort of in that peak event kind of season. The weather's pretty good still. So there's there's events happening all around Australia for those in Australia. It, it, those abroad in the US, you've got some big events happening as well as uh, you come out of winter, you're in your springtime now, hopefully... You're not suffering from the massive snowfalls that have uh, hit a, a lot of um, a lot of the US, but uh, hopefully that's starting to melt. Uh, but uh, here in Australia, uh, still good weather as we head towards winter, though, in the southern states. It will start to get cooler, and it's already started to get cooler. But uh, a couple of events I want to tell you about. The IMAC movement is still going uh, really strong here in, uh, in Australia. Uh, it's really a standout when, as far as competition goes. The numbers have been really good. Uh, the Victorian numbers have been really good. Um, as I record this, it's just before the Echuca round for the uh, Victorian IMAC uh, series. So um, hopefully everybody had a good time there, which they always do. But uh, there's another event happening up in, I think it's New South Wales, the Northern Rivers IMAC uh, running an event. Um, get on to the scalearrows.com.au. Um, Northern Rivers. The boys have done an awesome job preparing the grounds. Club will be doing lunch Saturday, brekkie Sunday, lunch Sunday. Get on down. Brian Stenberg is the man. Actually, Brian could be up in Queensland. I don't know where this, where it's being held because their flyer isn't very good. Come on, boys and girls. More information. Um, so, but anyway, Northern Rivers IMAC, if you're up that way. Uh, get involved. We really want to start growing the IMAC uh, scene outside of Victoria that's going quite strong. So New South Wales, Queensland, uh, Joey Tavora, he's getting up to the events. Well done, Joey. Thanks for supporting them. So uh, 6th and 7th of May, Northern Rivers IMAC. Uh, get onto the scalearrows.com.au website and uh, take a look. Uh, I've got to, tell, got to plug my friend's event, Ben's Dub Mid-May Muster. May the 21st at the Bairnsdale Club down here in Victoria. May 21st. Gates will open on the Friday the 19th, though. I'm going to this event. I really want to go to this event. I'm probably going to be there on the Saturday and the Sunday. And I'm just going to fly. I'm just going to have a fly. I don't know whether I'm going to shoot a video or take photographs or do whatever. I just want to have a fly. So I might just go and be a normal person at an event rather than carrying camera gear around. So uh, public entry by gold coin donation. MAAA pilots $20. There's a model of the meat award. No restriction on model numbers or types. Bring anything you've got. You've got a stick. You've got a foamy. Doesn't matter. Bring it. It's the mid-May muster. Event camping's twenty dollars. Uh, toilets and hot shower. Barbecue and fire pit. Disabled amenities. Catering on site. Heavy model permits if required. 
mid-May muster at the Bansdale Club. Get onto the Bansdale and District Model Aero Club Facebook page. Get on board with that and uh, get on down. Hopefully see you there. Uh, so what else? What's been on my mind? Um, not much. Really looking forward to going for a fly. Uh, hopefully I will be going out for a fly very shortly. I plan to go. Um, bought, bought it some new LiPo batteries. I, I called out for a LiPo sponsor. Nobody responded. Um, the industry's not really good at sponsoring stuff. Well, they do. I'm, I'm that Look, take that back. They do sponsor um, a lot of events. You know. But uh, I'd love to have a LiPo sponsor to get me some new fresh LiPos. But I did buy some. I bought a couple of 6S packs to put in my planes. So I want to get out and um, try it in my 30cc, a 12S LiPo-powered beast. Uh, new batteries, I think, will give it a new lease on life. So we'll test those out hopefully very, very shortly if the weather is good. Uh, but one thing of note, I've noticed that uh, there's a guy by the name of Stephen Gregg up in Queensland, originally from New Zealand. Actually, I've sent him a message. Hopefully, he's going to come onto the podcast because we really would love to have a chat with him about this. He's playing around with um, he, the company he works for. Is playing around with um, electronic fuel injection for for DA Motors. Um, it's part of I think some of the work that they're doing um, for commercial applications and in you know drones and things like that. But uh, it'd be very interesting to see how how if that could be applied to the hobby stuff. But from some of his reports, he's saying that um, f- fuel efficiency has gone up dramatically, and and it's you know seems to be performing really really well. There's a lot of a lot of challenges in having fuel injection on a model model engine due to um, things going up and down. Um, so that's uh, you know the air air density changes and things like that. Um, so you've got to uh, there's, there's an organisation he's got Evolution Motors. They used to. They were working on an EFI for a sixty cc or something like that, but um, it, they couldn't resolve the technical issue. So it'd be interesting to see. And I've seen some videos of of this motor, DA motor with um fuel fuel injection. Again, it's not coming out of DA. So Desert Aircraft are not building the EFI module. It's being done by a third party, maybe in conjunction with them. It's doing the development work, but um, no doubt there'd be a few little other bits and bobs you'd have to put in your plane to get it to work. Uh, so anyway, hopefully we can get Stephen on board to um, to have a chat. What else has been on my mind? I'll tell you what, I don't know about all of you, but I tell you what, I, I, I'm a big Facebook user. I, I'm in that demographic, I think, where I get onto Facebook and that's, you know, my chosen uh, uh, social media platform. I do look at Instagram as well, but I suppose Facebook is probably most of the time. But um, there's so much error modeling content, you know, it, it, it finds you. And I've got this thing, I'm kind of talking to my friends about going, there's so many pages now, but it's just everybody's saying the same thing. And so when is when is enough enough? Um, you know, like how many pages, Facebook pages do we need to have more groups talking about the same stuff, saying the same stuff? Um, and I keep on getting invited to chat groups and stuff like that. And if I do reject your invitation, it's not because I don't like you, it's because I'm trying to manage the amount of distractions that they provide, that every time you sign up to another group, another page, it's another reason to keep on staring at a screen and not doing other stuff. And so, and you, and, and these applications are designed to suck you in and you get addicted to looking at them, even though everyone's saying the same stuff, pretty much, they were saying four years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, so if I do not, if you send me an invitation to join your, your, your chat group, I'll probably reject it on the back of I just don't need another distraction 
And if you want to have a chat with me, just give me a call. I'll have a chat. But uh, but yeah, it's a great time waste social media. I, I Okay, I produce content that goes out in these uh, platforms. But one of the things I'm trying to do is do something different. Most of my activity on Facebook and Instagram is photography-based stuff. I take photos of different events and and share them out with everybody. And then, of course, you know, if there's events that I want to get, you know, they're happening, um, video content, that kind of stuff. So everything that I do is is trying to add to the pool that, that's out there. Even with this podcast, it's about adding to the pool. There's not that many podcasts in the whole scheme of things. Um going around but uh so uh, you know it's not a cluttered space uh by any stretch of the imagination when it comes to rc aero modeling activity small market there's not many people that are actively listening for podcasts around the world for flying podcasts so our, our listening is sort of lower than more general kind of stuff but we're not those kind of people are we we like the niche things we like the things that are a bit more difficult and involve a bit of an effort so we are an elite group i would say that listen to this podcast. So a big thank you to that. But um, so yeah, I, I just find, I've always had this philosophy. You know, I work in marketing and I do the same thing with my customers. I don't share other people's posts. I create the content um, and then I'm adding to the whole pool rather than just saying the same thing as uh, everybody else. But um, even with the video content, I'm really trying to do something different, I think. I think I've mentioned this in the past. Are we over... If you know, if you've been around for a while flying model planes, are we overwatching videos of planes flying? Um, we like watching videos of unique planes, generally really, really big planes. We like crashes and mishaps. That's always been popular on, on the internet. But uh, it's very, very hard for me to get excited about watching planes fly around in the sky that I've seen in real life a hundred one times. You know, another Mustang or thing. As I said, if it's a really big one and uh, if it's got a coal motor in it, those unreal sounding motors. I'll probably watch it. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that people like watching jets. Well, they like seeing jets. The thumbnail is very important in the YouTube video. If you see a nice jet, the numbers generally go higher than other planes. So it's interesting to start to analyze what people are interested in looking at. Uh, even when you think about it on Facebook, when there's all these pages and these groups and low like chat groups and kind of thing, there's a lot of members, but there's not many people actively participating. It's generally the same group of people that are uh, that are commenting and um, interacting so but it's always been the same it's happened back in the forum days when forums used to be a lot more popular than what they are now that it was always the same group of people even though there might be hundreds of people subscribed to the the group but anyway very interesting times we have so much content it comes from every single angle sometimes just wasting too much of our time and i hope i'm not wasting your time that is the aim if you're still listening, that's good. Have a waste your time. Okay, my favourite time of the podcast, and hopefully yours, because there's only so much of my voice that anyone can take. Uh, great guest this week, a gentleman by the name of Ant Sisley. Uh, I've met Ant a number of years ago. Uh, he's a member of my local club, but he's very active in the IMAX scene at the moment. But He's got a long history in the hobby dating back to his days in Zimbabwe where he was originally born and raised and lived as an adult and then moved to Australia. Uh, it, it's an interesting story. Uh, and what you'll find in, throughout this podcast is I hardly said a word and that was because I was just sitting back and listening plus Ant was a good good guest to to interview that he could he could hold it all by himself. He had so much to say, which was great. So um, 
yeah, hearing, I, I love hearing stories about uh, how people got into the hobby, but also if it's in a foreign country that I'm not accustomed to, such as Zimbabwe, uh, it's, uh, it makes it even more special. So if anybody out there lives in a country that might be not a typical aero modeling country like the US or Germany or uh, the UK or you know, Australia and places like that, send me a message. Get on the Flat Out RC webpage, flatoutrc.com.au or the Facebook page. Send me a message because I'd love to have some some other people on from different parts of the world. But anyway, let's get into it. Ant Sicily, stay tuned. Great story. Here we go. We're back in my home state of Victoria with a special guest in Ant Sicily. Ant, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thanks, Andy Roo, and uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you, you've made a new name, but that's good. I don't mind it. <laughs> I do tend to give people funny names, don't worry. You'll get used to it. Uh, look, I, I give most people nicknames at some point in time. I've got a history of doing that throughout my years. So Now, we're here to talk about aero modelling, and I see you, you I see you as an all-round aero modeller. You've done a lot of different stuff with, with model planes and uh, helis and you name it. but where did your journey begin? Um, okay. So some people think I grew up in South Africa, but I didn't I actually grew up in Zimbabwe, which is formerly Rhodesia for the people over 50. Um, basically, when I was about five or six, um, my grandfather in the UK sent out a model kit, which was a 124 scale FX Spitfire which my dad built for me, and it sat on its stand for many years, well, until I left home, to be honest. And that sort of got me into models or flying, aeroplanes in general. So I, I sort of had a, a um, it started, that sort of started off when I started building traffic models um, to the point where I had like 60-odd hanging from my ceiling in my bedroom, and I was always tinkering with plastic models. School holidays, that's all I used to do. Um, then I left, I left. I went into high school, and one of I think I was an English teacher. I had I can't remember now. His name was Mr. Muir. He had a post up saying, "Anybody in control line?" Uh, I said, "You sure? Why not?" And because I was interested, and I got into control line. So we had a we were quite lucky. We had a, a really good model shop um, in in the in the city, which was used to be called Salisbury now called Arari, which was called Southern Cross Models. And they were run, it was actually run by models. And one of the guys there who ran the shop was a very, very good modeler, built his own models, very, very good builder, very good flyer. And I used to spend, you know, if I, any pocket money thing I got in. And in those days, we were flying the baby bees, black widows, that sort of thing. Baby being mean, the most common. So that was the sort of kickstart. And a few other friends of mine who were around the school, we school holidays, we'd go down and we would, fly you know, off the cricket pitch, um, mainly with profile models, a few flying wings, fun-covered flying wings. Um, and then I found out, actually, that my uncle had, had done some control line and he had a couple of models, which I acquired. One was a Mustang, which took, I think, a 25. And the other one was a Messerschmitt BF110, which was fully built up, fully built up body, uh, fully built up wings, and that was designed for two baby bees or black widows. And inevitably, there was always the the motor would always fail, and I'd be fighting as a Mr. Yaw if any force lost mm-hmm. it, which were engines. Anyway, um, then I left high school, started my apprenticeship, 
and managed to acquire a a uh, high wing three channel two channel model. Basically, it was a two channel model. Um, I can't remember the size. I think it was like an OS twenty five on it again. Um, and one of the friends of mine that I try and control on was about a year or so below me. Um, he had gone on and actually gone on to do radar control. And we had actually had two radar control um, clubs in the country at the time. One was in Thorsby, the capital, and one was in Bulawayo, which is down in the southwest, about 430 k's in the southwest, which is the second largest uh, city. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but um, but anyway, my this friend of mine, he, I said to him, Look, I'm just going to fire this airplane. No, I knew nothing, literally. I knew, I mean, I knew aeroplanes flew, but I knew nothing. Anyway, the aeroplane predictably lasted about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I ended up rebuilding that and then um, them selling it. Actually, no, I didn't sell it. I swapped it for a, re- a, a spray spray job on my car, believe it or not. <laughs> I had a little mini at the time um, and I was, and I sort of got into, because of my job, I was in radio communication. Well, I was in consumer electronics, but I did radio communications. As a as a as a course in technical college, so I got into CB radios at the time, and um, I used to have a mount on my a magnetic mount on my mini, and all that. but I, I swapped the airplane actually for a spray job on my mini, and then sort of I still carried on with the plastic kits, but the aeromodding sort of fell away a bit um, because I was now partying, girls, nightclubs. Uh... Okay. Yeah, um, wine, women, and song, what, as I call it. All mine induced um, teenager, you know, early teen, early, late teenager, early 20s sort of guy was doing when he was finishing his apprenticeship. What, what year are we talking? Give us an era. So we can oh, uh, mid-80s. I think I started working. Oh, yeah, I left school in 82, so it was have been the mid-80s. Yeah, okay. So, um, so yeah, so by, by well. Actually, in 1980 was when Zimbabwe got independence, and I just started what we call my what they would call the senior year. So we wrote at high school it was called the AEB O levels. AEB was the Associate Examining Board, which was based in the UK, and being an ex-colonial uh, country, a lot of our syllabuses were on exams were set. And actually, in fact, those, that, that stage those those exams were actually written. So it was it was equivalent to like year 12. Those exams actually marked overseas. So it was like final year. So your O levels, what they called the O levels, ordinary levels, you had those, you had M level, which was called the matric year, which is that which is actually what they have in South Africa. And then we went on to A level, which is advanced year. And then A level was sort of you're doing A levels, you were sort of you know, you're going to be a lawyer or a bank manager or going to university and doing really fancy stuff. Anyway, I I was better with my hands and I was with my book, to be honest. Um so so yeah, so the, the, so and actually, and in 1980, my mom actually wanted to leave the country, like a lot of the Europeans wanted to do at the time, because we transitioned in from a white minority government to a black majority government, um, and everybody sort of feared the worst sort of thing. Um, but as it happens, it was actually quite quite uh, civilized and, and benign and stable, um, but a lot of restrictions on foreign currency. So buying model kits and buying stuff was was actually quite quite a, a tough thing. Anyway, um, I, I was in my sort of early, really early 20s. Um, I'd got into scuba diving and met a few. And my circle of friends had changed, and not many of them were really into 
the remodeling scene or, or anything like that. We were into scuba diving, we were into motorbikes, uh, into racing. Um, and then I, I sort of, got, from the scuba diving, I got into underwater hockey and, um, and spearfishing or freshwater because as people might or might not know, Zimbabwe is, a, is actually a landlocked country, but we have the largest, I think it's, it, when it was built, the largest man-made lake in the world, but at the moment, I think it's the largest man-made lake by volume in the world, which is Lake Kariba on the north border. Anyway, early 20s, I'm in my 20s, I've come out of my apprenticeship, I've now met my now wife, um, who I've been, who I've just um, on Friday celebrated my 33rd wedding anniversary with. Um, so we've been, thank you, uh, thanks very much. We are, we've been together 35 years. Um, and I decided I wanted to learn to fly. And that came about from a friend of mine um, who was working with my, with my wife's company, and he was a pilot. And as it happens, my wife's boss was also a pilot, but he was also into fishing and, and scuba diving. And, you know, so we had sort of fairly common interests. So, and I mean, I used to book him generally at Christmas parties and whatever. Anyway, um, so I decided I was going to go and learn to fly. And this one friend of mine started to teach me, but he was very, very unreliable. Very good salesman, could talk the talk, but um, very unreliable. So I ended up going to a flying school called Pegasus Flying, um, based at the Michelin Flying Club, um, which is at, a, at an air, uh, sort of uh, about 20 minutes outside the capital at Charles Prince Airport. Now, people think it's Prince Charles Airport, but it's actually named after a guy called Charles Prince. Um, so just spell that anybody wants to try and correct me. Um, but anyhow, I got into flying. I was flying a Cessna 150 and I was getting into, I was getting up to, we were doing spin recovery. So I was doing, you know, forcing aircraft into past the stall, into the spin and recovering and whatever. That was the sort of level I got to. And I happened to go to the model club for and they were having a show on. And I was with this, this other friend of mine, this very unreliable friend of mine who was also a pilot. And, you know, oh, this looks really good. Maybe I could get into it. And as it happened, this friend of mine introduced me to a guy who is now also a friend of mine. He lives in the UK. And he was actually a 707 captain. Uh, no, sorry, a lie, 767 captain. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gave me a bit of advice and he said, look, I hear you learning to fly. And I said, this is correct. And he said, um, if you want to do flying for a career, then I, I would say go for it. But if you want to do it just to get your license, then you really are just wasting your money. He said, because you get your license. It'll be good for the first year, then the expenses will kick in, other things will happen, and you've got a medical to do, you've got a flight test to do, and you, you won't do it. And I then found out that quite a few of the aeromodelers that I knew, that I flew with, that well, that I was going, I was about to meet, I'd say, at that stage, um, had actually done that. They had done their licenses, and they had their modeling, and their licenses had left. So I sort of gave up the idea because on my budget that I had at the time, because I'd only just come out of my apprenticeship. Um, it would take me about a year to get my 40, my 40 hours plus the extra hours to do for my cross country. So I thought, okay, 
maybe that's maybe flying is it's it's nice, but maybe he's got something there. So I I basically got into remodeling. I joined the club. Um, I had a little a little two channel model to start off with. So my first radio was an Attack Two. Um, we flew on FM on the thirty five meg band. Um, Attack Two with an OS ten, I think, on it, which I I sort of had to fly around and then wait for it to run out of fuel, which I did. And um, then I bought an Attack Four radio, which developed a problem and we lost the model. And uh, the Challenger, Challenger Six, was my next model. So all for Tarbi gear at the time. Tarbi, in fact, actually that, at that stage, for Tarbi was the only radio you could actually buy. Yeah. Because uh, they were coming in in good and bad, but most of the stuff we were buying was secondhand. Um, and I learned to fly on a ugly stick. Oh. Which is basically the the you know the the um, the the plastic version of the other stick with the rounded tail and whatever um, with a a that said I think and a Webra sixty on it with a Dynamics carb and I learned to fly with one of those and I got to and when we learned to fly it was if you don't give me the transmission you're going to crash because no buddy boxes or anything like that stage um, and it was a case of you know fighting shooting for the for the buddy box for the radio when you got into trouble. And the method of teaching you to land was for the instructor to stand behind you, put his arms around you, and you would feel what he was doing on the sticks, which I didn't really see the, the real sense of that because of my mind was thinking other things at the moment and I wasn't really concentrating on what he was doing. I was just watching the airplane and other, whatever. Yeah. Anyhow, um, basically what happened was, I think it was 99, that was 1993. So that was a few years after the after the um, uh, adventures of control line or whatever, and and the first radar control model, and I um I I basically taught myself to, to land um, because the guy who was teaching me he he was starting to develop other interests and and he wasn't always coming out and a friend of mine there was one of the other instructors did help me out and I, I cracked their plane well. I, I put the airplane and put a bit of damage on it. Fixed it. Actually went out the next day um, with my wife. She sat on the bench. And we were very blessed. The club we had, which was called the Rory Model Aircraft Club, was based sort of on the eastern side of the city about quite a few, about, about 35 days out of town. So it was quite a, quite a drive. Um, but we were blessed with two tarmac runways. And we actually, well, I think one was, they were both 75 meters, but one, had been stretched to 100 meters because we had some South African pilots. And it was the first time we'd seen anything like turbines or everything else had been ducted fan. There was a guy um, had Byron uh, Byron F-16 yeah. with a can on it. Um, anyway, uh, my very first landing was it was brilliant. And I just went, my wife, hey, did you see that he said? Of course, he was, yeah, yeah. Was he doing that? And and it sort of it, it just went on from there. Um, the ugly stick was my mainstay. I, I, I um, flew that off order. Um, it, it was stopped to a tail dragger. Um, I then gave it to my brother, and he borrowed a radio from a mate of his, which we discovered had a problem with the transmitter, and the airplane ran out of range and crashed, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but I by that stage I got into I started to move up into different classics. So um, 
I was buying and selling models left, right, and center. If I didn't, if I threw a model, I got bored with it. I'll probably get rid of it. Um, I, I my first gal model I bought from a friend of mine called um, uh, Mark Hensman, who who was a full size aerobatic pilot, and he was building a Christian Eagle in his garage. And I bought the Christian uh, the Carl Goldberg um, Super Cup of uh, Super Chipmunk, sorry, off him. Oh yeah, that was, that was and, uh, yeah, uh, and I loved that airplane. Uh, then I, I moved on from there. I got in from that. Our uh, club used to hold like um, I think it was monthly or two monthly. We'd have uh, aerobatic comps, and um, where we were pattern proper pattern aerobatic comps. And I think my first aerobatic airplane I ever bought was a Phoenix Nine um, with very wobbly undercarriage. And I think and then there was a guy. In, I think his name was Andy Ellison. Was a guy in the UK who developed a, a pattern ship which. Some of the, the modelers back in, in Zimbabwe at the time, they sort of not quite copied, but they took the basic aeroplane and, and changed a few things. They changed the wings and it was called, the one I got was called a delusion. Very nice. All These are all 60 size models. Um, so it was basically uh, scale. I had a, I had a, uh, a you know, sort of a, a fly around model. And and pattern, and we used to every now and then drive down to Abalawa and we'd have comps there. Um, in the meantime, I was getting into, I was test flying, I was doing a little bit of teaching. Um, I got into a few fun flies. We had some South Africans come up with a South African design fun fly airplane called a shotgun. And that was powered by an, an Urban 36, I think. And everybody was going nuts for this airplane. And that actually was the last model I ever scratch built, to be honest, which was. Going on for nearly 30 years ago. Um, and that was also the same time I got into gliding because I bought a second hand glider, which at one stage didn't have any interest in. Um, and this is before electric gliders. So we had a, actually had a winch and, and I started doing winch uh, uh, launches off with this glider and, and it piqued my interest quite well. But then this friend of mine who flew ducted fans rocked up with a helicopter. Can't tell you what it was. Yeah. Uh, probably a cattle or something like that. I would say, it was, you know, in those days, nitro. And I thought, okay, that's what I want to do. I'm always fascinated by helicopters, and I thought that's what I want to do. And it nearly happened. Um, there was a friend of my, uh, a friend of mine. He had a, a Nexus. I think it was a Nexus, Nexus thirty. And he sort of said, "Oh, it's a very good training helicopter, but I want to go more." And he was gonna, he wanted to do the swap with an aeroplane. I'm your man, but you know, you're gonna have to help me with the thing. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, and at that sort of stage now, we're getting the late nine in the in the mid, mid to the late nineties, and about ninety-seven, the the Marvin dollar started to started to take a bit of a nosedive. Um, and there were a lot of factors attributed to that. I don't know how much of it made the news across here, but we had started getting farm invasions. Um, they were forcing farmers off, destroying infrastructure, things like that. So it started to get a bit tense, and the dollar lost value extremely, extremely quickly. Um, but unfortunately, the government wasn't really sort of acknowledging that. They were trying to say, no, no, everything's okay, everything's okay. Now, in Zimbabwe, you can't go to like a travel, uh, you know, like flight center or travel like You've got to go to the bank. And you've got to apply for foreign currency. That was one of the biggest restrictions that we had whenever we wanted to travel. And by 
99, you couldn't get foreign currency. You just couldn't. The only way you could get it was on the black market. And we were talking, you know, in comparison to uh, the bank saying it was worth about $86 to the pound, we were talking like $400 to the pound on the black market. Because that was the only way you could get it. Um, at the around about the same time, around about 2000, 2001, well, around about actually in 2000, um, there was a there was a, an election uh, to change the constitution, which was what our current president at the time wanted to wanted to change it to make him president for life. Now, there were a few questions as why because he, you know there wasn't a lot of opposition at the time, um, and. If I just go back a few years to like the mid '80s, just after independence, I held I held dual citizenship. I had Zimbabwean citizenship and British citizenship. My wife was the same, you know, because my both my parents were British, my wife's father was British, and the Zimbabwe government said we don't they don't recognise your citizenship, and we handed our passport, our British passport, because for me to be a parent, I had to be a citizen. To do a lot of things, you had to be citizens. Um, but the, the passport was sent back to us by the British High Commission just saying, look, you know, in law, you can't travel outside the country on this. So we still had those, and we were actually with the British High Commission. Anyway, um, 2000 rolled on. We had this, 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 this um, referendum, I think it was, and, and it was actually the, the president actually lost it. And it made things not life-threatening, but it made things quite difficult. The economy now is really, really bad. and. By this stage, I had a, a young daughter who was going four, going on five, and I sat down with my wife and I said to, said to her, I said, look, um, you know, I think we should seriously consider um, what options are because in 2000, they also stamped down on the dual citizenship. So we actually handed in our Zimbabwean documents and became aliens in, in our own country, so to speak, um, because I didn't want to... I wanted to fall back on the British passport because that gave me sort of easy access to it if I ever needed to get out. Um, sorry, it's a bit of a long convoluted story. No, anyway. no, this is interesting. Um, so, so yeah, so on top of that, I was working for, I was, at that stage, I was actually fixing marine electronics. I'd gone through a variety of jobs from consumer electronics to production engineering. I did a brief stint in alarms. I then did some... Uh, medical diagnostic equipment for a few years until the company closed down. Uh, the stint doing computer uh, management, uh, management computer workshop, and then I got into when the company was actually being run by my wife boss. It was one of his sort of side companies, and because he liked fishing and diving, this was actually a a, uh, a boat fitting company, but it dealt with electronics. Um, and he wanted someone to run the electronics side. So I ended up dealing with guys like Raytheon, Hummingbird, Shakespeare, and I was fixing, selling fish finders, you name it, anything, anything goes. Um, and on top of that, my boss had shares in three airplanes, one being the Bonanza, the other being the Baron and a Cessna 310. And once a month, we would fly down to our other, other office in, in Bulawayo, which I mentioned earlier, which by rose about four to five hour drive, but it's a 45 minute flight in the barrel. And we would get airborne and he'd give me the oath and say, that's the direction, let's go. And I would fly there and fly back. 
and I really and that that was just just that thing. I, I was I'm not going anywhere. This is the job for me. Yeah. Anyway, with the political situation going, the flying was still pretty strong. Um, the pattern had dropped off a bit. Um, we had done a few big projects. One of the big projects we actually did was, I think, in '95, where we flew two and a half thousand Ks. We went to, if you look at the map of Zimbabwe, we, we started off in the north, north, northwest at the border post, and we flew to, I think, it's five different border posts. Yeah, five different border posts with um, what we call the middle stick. So it was a 40 size version of the of the, of the big stick. Oh yeah. Uh, Tanks on it, and we we went in convoys of four vehicles, and this is all for the Lions Club called Journey for Sight. So it was to raise money for blind people, but oh, my poor blind people. And we would go to various towns, and we'd go to the showgrounds, we'd meet the Lions people, and we put on displays. I had a plane with her banner, and guys would fly, fun flying. They put on a little bit of display and collect money. We we weren't actually allowed to collect money from people on the roadside, but we so we had two guys in the back of a of a Hilux four wheel drive with skydiving goggles on. Want to be a spot, want to be a pilot. And we'd be bumbling down the road at 100Ks an hour with this airplane flying next, not flying next to us. And, cool. and each post, we would get the, each, all the airplanes would have the wings stamped with the border stamp. And the, the aircraft were all white, but the, the wingtips were the different colors of the flag. So we had black, red, green, and yellow, I think, with all the four colors of the airplanes because it was four pilots as a team. So we, it was like a relay, you know, yeah. we'd fly 50Ks, land, how far could you fly on a tank? Um, well, we the smallest tank we had on the airplane was 16 ounces, and we were doing over 55. Initially, we only were keeping fairly short, but we were eventually going, getting up to over 50, 55 k's on those at about 80 to 100 k's an hour. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, so we were putting, so we we saw, I think, because we had a factory called Model Products that, that sort of elongated the fuselages very slightly. And we were just putting some 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 of the guys were putting two tanks because of the width, and we were just I think the smallest was about sixteen ounces. I think the biggest was about twenty two ounces. Yeah. Uh, and that was an experience of very really much a big experience. Um, uh, we flew through the the arches of the Birchnoff Bridge, which is the largest single span bridge in Africa. Huh. I think was modeled after the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, and like I said, we towed, I towed banners, um, we threw up golf courses. We had a few mishaps, but overall we were pretty lucky. I think we only lost one aircraft um, in, that, in that whole trip. And that was two and a half thousand Ks, um, which was and – it, and it took us a week to do that. That's cool. Anyhow, um, by, uh, by 2000, things weren't looking so good, even though the modeling was still pretty strong. Um, and, uh, we decided, I think maybe it's time to get going. Uh, 2001, um, we started, we sort of started setting stuff off. A friend of mine, um, who was an aeromodel, he had gone over to Ireland for the World Aerobatics, F3A Aerobatics, with a couple of other aeromodels. One of them is actually lives up in Toowoomba, um, a friend of mine called Paul Gordon Brando, is also a very good pilot. Um, but you could physically see that there was a big change. There were a lot of guys who were now thinking, uh, maybe it's time to sort of jump ship, so to speak. Mm. So we sort of started selling stuff off. And, um, give an example 
a friend of mine was a he worked for he had the Hertz, I think it was the Hertz agency, and he ran a global agent, and I booked my tickets through him. Now, the crazy thing is, is that the government by this stage had made it a law that you couldn't quote anything in US dollars, but the national airline would quote airfares in US dollars. Um, we worked out in the end when we paid it that our airfares came to the equivalent of eight thousand pounds for three of us to fly to England. Um, and what happened was on the twenty eighth on in two thousand one, we started sort of pre-selling all our stuff. So I'd got you know like people at work say, "Do you want to buy a bed? Do you want to buy a TV? Do you want?" To? But you know, pay me now, and this is when you can collect it. And um, on the 28th of February, this friend of mine phoned me up and said, Ant, get down here. I've heard they're going to put the airfares up. And in Zimbabwean dollar terms now, in 2001, in 2002, this is February 2002, my airfare cost me $438,000. And I bought from a bank 300 pounds, 315 pounds, I think it was, which cost me another $250,000. Okay, and it wasn't cash. It wasn't check, credit card, anything like that. It wasn't a hold to come back to the guy behind you once it, because that's how desperate it was. Um, if I'd waited till the 1st of March, my airfare would have gone up by another $300,000. It would have gone up to over $700,000. Now, that's involving dollars, which at the black market rate was probably only about £1,000 by then, because I think the black market rate is about $472 to the pound or to the dollar. Zimbabwe dollars to the US dollar, that is. Anyway, at the same time, we thought, okay, let's try and go to Australia. Okay? This is a, a big dream. So we actually did do the application. My brother, who lives in, my brother-in-law, sorry, who lives in the States, he put a deposit down for us. We then thought, okay, well, we've got family in England, we're on British passports, we'll go to England. We'll use that stepping stone, we'll spend a buddy there, and then if everything goes right, We'll go to Australia. Um, it didn't actually happen like that, but anyway, that was the idea at the time. Uh, so we did, and actually, on Good Friday, two thousand and two, we landed in, in the UK. Uh, got picked up by a friend of mine. I went and stayed with her for a couple of weeks while I made arrangements with my aunt to go and live with her for a while. And all the while, I was trying to, I was trying to. Um, uh, find work and whatever obviously it was the first priority now my my boss my ex-boss he used because he was um pop, uh, involved with the flying club that he they were affiliated with the ama for some reason i think it was through the fa or something and he used to get the afa magazine and i remember looking on the back of this magazine and seeing a Futaba field force nine the brand new radio from Futaba, and i thought oh <laughs> By this stage, I'd gone through, after my challenger, I'd gone through a Field Force 7, a Field Force 7 Super, and I was flying on a Field Force 8 Super, which was now on South African frequencies, which was 63 megahertz, I think. So I sold all that stuff when I was there. It was, it was pointless me taking it over with me. Um, I think we'd been with my aunt about a week, and the first thing I bought when I arrived in England was the Field Force 9. <laughs> Priorities. Well done. With the 300 pounds that I'd snowballed out of the country. Hmm. Um, but I got quite lucky. Um, 
by about June, by about May that that same year, I already secured two final interviews, and I'd offered, I'd taken, I'd, I'd accepted one of the jobs, just paying very well, but extremely bad, well, really, really bad hours, um, no overtime, but the, the the salary was actually was was actually very, very good, and they were only about 17 miles up the road, so it wasn't far from where I lived, and that came with a company car, which was even better. Um, the downside was I was spending about three weeks out of four it, away from home, ma- mainly in, in mainland Europe. Um, I, I've, I've literally gone to almost every country in Europe uh, through work. So my era modeling took a big stop off from leaving Zimbabwe until we got our life into yeah. And then I, once I started working, I was at, we were able to find somewhere to stay, um, started to make a bit more money. Um, my wife got a, a, a sort of a part-time job. My daughter, she was six now. She was in the local school, so everything was starting to sort of fall into place. And I started getting into remo- back into remodeling. I joined. The, I went to one club that a friend of mine um, that I talk to every week. He 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 lives about ten miles from me. Um, he was a member of the club. This was in Maidstone, Maidstone Model Flying Club, who at that stage had three fields. Um. And I, I borrowed a plane, actually, funny enough, from a an, from from him and I and I from sorry from another friend of mine, and I went down and subsequently joined this club. Um, but I, again, that bug of helicopters was still there. It was still something I was missing. And I go and just down the road from us um, was a shop called Model World, which was run by um, coming his name now. Uh, excuse me, lose me, but he was British. Uh, he was a British F3C helicopter champion, Mark Tilbury. That's the guy's name, Mark Tilbury. And he would stand behind the counter with a little big, big hummingbird, and he would fly it backwards over the counter. Hmm. And I'd almost every weekend I could. We'd go there was a garden centre and all that, and my wife would go and look at the plants, and I'd be in the model shop. Um, so. There was another club that I that I I'd heard about on the Irish Tepi called uh, Barton's Point, and I, I I went to visit them. And the first thing I saw when I got out the car was seven Vario helicopters sitting in a row. Mm. And I met the guy who owned them, and I went and had a chat with him, and we got quite good uh, talking uh, quite well, and. Um, I ended up joining that club as opposed to the Maystone Club because the, the president of the Maystone Club at the time was not very, what's the word, approachable, not very friendly. And I I got myself a, a sport plane to fly around at the time, but then I bought, Century, the Mark Tilbury was the... The agent for Century Helicopters based from the UK, from from the USA. And Century also did the Hump Funky Girl Bodies. But they did a this this is now now there was now we were starting to get electric helicopters. The um the Piccolo was start, was making a was was on the uh, was on the on the on the scene, the Icarus Piccolo. And Century had come up with a model called the the Hummingbird. It was a fixed pitch. It ran off a um, 8.4 volt nickel hydride pack. You get about seven minutes out of it, and I bought myself one of those. In, in actual fact, prior to that, a friend of mine 
um, that I knew in Zimbabwe, he'd come over in 2001. He was working for Flair um, based out in Swindon. And most people will know Flair models, I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. And um, when he when he came, when he, he would come and visit, because he was a salesman, he would come and visit us. He would come and stay with us when we were building the shops in our area. And he rocked up with this little fixed helicopter called this Martic helicopter. And my, the first thing my wife said to him is, do not show that down to me. And <laughs> as I say, the rest is history almost, because he did. And I've actually got a photo of me flying it in our backyard, hovering it for about 10 seconds or so. And that was also a fixed pitch. And that was it. That was it. I was, I was hooked now. Um, so I bought this hummingbird, and I literally taught myself to fly helicopters. Uh, I would crash it. I would, at, when I was when I wasn't traveling, I, I'd have it in the, in the op, it, in our office at work. We had a, like a bed where I was about three meters wide, and I would we would fly it up and down there. And if I hit, you know, I'd hit the blade and I'd break a blade and I'd go to the hobby shop on the way home and spend about ten pounds buying a new blazer. But that gave me the basics, and I thought this is this is this is it. And I then bought my first nitro helicopter, which was a Hawk thirty. What they called the Hawk Fort, which was a century helicopter. And I went out to the field, and the instructor, who was the same bloke with all these scale models, he put it on training, put training legs on, and put it on the highway, trimmed it, gave it to me, and said, Okay, give it a go. And I sort of said, Well, hmm, this is easy. Because the hummingbird it taught me all the basics. So going up to the bigger model, it was, you know, I thought, What's so hard about this? So I never used the training legs. And I it sort of snowballed from there really because I ended up I, I always wanted to do scale um, and scale helicopters so on that I, I had my first scale helicopter was a, a century long ranger which was a thirty size I bought a second one which had the the Falcon mechanics which was the century fifty size mechanics but still the mechanical CCPM so. And then I, I bought myself a Pot and Broom Raven, which was the Sentry 50 size CCPM helicopter. It was their first CCPM helicopter. Um, then came Thunder Tiger with their big Use 500. So I moved up to 60 size Phillies. Um, I had two, I had two Raptors. I had a Strobby Super Sport. And then I made a deal with a guy who was learning to fly. And I bought a Predator 90. The Predators was at that stage the Bentley's flagship. They did a Predator 90 Nitro and they did a two gasser versions, which at that stage a lot of guys were using for aerial photography. And I bought a Predator 90. And then it was a succession of 90 side helicopters. Um, in the meantime, um, we'd, we, we'd failed in our initial bid to get to Australia. And around about 2008, um, this friend of mine who lives in Sydney was one of the guys that, that we sort of partied with um, in, in the 80s and 90s. And he had moved to Sydney way before, I, I think, just in fact, just after I got married, I think. So it was around about the early 90s. And he had just actually, at that stage, he just got married and his mother lived in, in London and he, he'd come across to show off his wife and all that because he couldn't make it to and it was like a second sort of ceremony and he said look they've changed the rules slightly maybe you should give it another go so we did we went through the whole process and 
at that stage now I'm in my forties and it's it's not happening. It became like a fifty fifty. We'd spent a lot of money and the lawyer said, Look, it's yeah, you could probably do it. The other lawyer said, forget it. So we thought, okay, that's it, that's it. One, you know, no more. Um I was still flying helicopters and aeroplanes. Um, I then dabbled a little bit in radical called sailing, and I used to race when the weather was pretty sort of usual English weather, I should say. Um, we'd go and race every Sunday, or every sort of once a month we'd go race, but sailing was every Sunday. Um, so when I wasn't flying, normally Sunday morning I'd go and do a bit of sailing. And then, as it happens, the company I was working for, which um deals with x-ray analysis equipment um i'd left them for a brief period and come back to work on a a robotic system which was about one of five in the world and that robotic system was based in in germany um and basically it was a robot that placed these plates and images and and i used to fix the images and all that and i was sent out to australia to for three weeks to do some upgrades in Melbourne, at a university in Melbourne. And I met up with Jeff Sussman, who at that stage, I think, was president of Melbourne Heli Club. Because I'd put, out, I'd put out a post on, I think it was Scale RC's website, or whatever, that I was going to be in Melbourne. And he invited me down to the club, and I went down to the club. Um, I think it was about April as well. Yeah, around about this time, 2011. And what had happened is the company that, that I work for now in Australia, they, they would, had been dealing with my company as the agent, but in a slightly different field, um, in more more of the industrial sort of side, but had been asked if they wanted to take on the life science side. Mm-hmm. But the this particular customer, this university that had this big setup, they had the biggest, actually the biggest installation at the time in the world, and there was all the support they got for that particular system was only from the US. So. They had an existing service contract and everything, and, and the, the guys in here said, you know, said to my my now boss, do you want to take this on? But these guys want an experienced engineer. Now, part of the reason when I came out was to get some training because I was with the, the then service manager from the States, and we were training up actually one of the local guys. Uh, but three weeks, this wasn't enough. And my boss put feelers out. And the guys on stage said, well, look, we know this guy in the UK who's been out to see the system. We know he's been trying to get to Australia. And the, the reason they knew that was because when you apply on the application I'd, I'd given them, you have to give them your get a work reference. So I'd have to get work references from the companies I worked for in the UK. But they'd already known that I was making. And anyway, two months later, I got an email from my now boss or the now owner of the company offering me the job and in 2012 uh beginning back to beginning fifth of, fifth of jan in fact i ended up in australia in melbourne um so sort of the circle started all over again ten years, literally 10 years later did you did you did you bring your models with you from the uk or start I again one me actually i bought i brought my radio because what had happened was um, I bought a brand new Futaba 12FG. I'd, I'd, got, I'd moved up from my my nine. I'd got the nine super. Then I bought the then I bought the 12FG. And it was in those days it was brand new. It was a 700 pound radio. It was a very expensive radio. And I was flying a big 
Cap 232, I think it was, with a Moki 180 Nitro on it. And I came out of this, this I did sort of like a, a turn and it, it didn't come out. It carried on rolling. And I thought, mm, that's weird. Got there to play on the ground. Discovered it wouldn't go into fail safe or anything like that. Took the radio back. And what it was is that you could actually see like this, the trim changing. The center position of the stick was changing. If you looked at the graph, not even touching the radio. And it was sent off back to, to Rip Max, who the, the, the Tarver agent. And they sent it back after two weeks. I oh, we can't find anything wrong. And I turned it on in the shop, said to the guys, kick this. And you could see this thing. And I said, guys, I fly big helicopters. You know, I was flying Grappner scale helicopters at the time. I had, um, I had two A109E Nitro scale helis at the time and my, and my U500. And I said, you know, I can't, this is not, this is not right. You got it. And they sent it back and we heard nothing. We heard nothing. We heard Eventually I ended up phoning Rip Max and the guy was very reluctant to talk to me. And he said, oh, yeah, look, sorry. Because um, at that same time, the Tarbert introduced the six channel on on their first, that was their first 2.6 gig Super radio. Cool. And six channel had, sorry, 2.4, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was their, that was their first, but there were a lot of recalls on it. So they'd given that priority and my radio had been put to the side. Anyway, it turned out there was an issue with the gimbals and they'd had to replace the gimbal. Um, I caught the sales rep in the shop and he promised me an upgrade to 2.4 and I never saw the upgrade. So I said, hmm, okay, well, I don't like your service. So I promptly sold all that stuff and I went gay off and I bought it myself a PTM. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a PTM 9. It was, they just released the DSX 9, which was their 2.4 gig PTM 2 because it was their collaboration with Spectrum at the time. Right. And then I was at a scale helicopter event with one of my A109s. And there's a guy there called Dennis Stratton. He did a few reviews on helicopters. And he was flying a BK-117 with a four-blade head, but with no, with just a gyro on the tail. And I thought, I want to do that. So I then bought myself the, D, uh, the DSX-12. Now, the DSX-12 in the swash tape menu had an Aerolon and Elevator mix in there. Um, it's not like interaction or that, but when you fly multi-blades uh, or, or any helicopter, in those days with the helicopters with flying blades, they, they had a, what called, they have a, a washout unit, but you had to get the phasing right on the head. So, for example, if you push the stick forward and the helicopter tended to want to veer off, but like having offset elevators, yeah, uh, it was the phasing was slightly out. So, on a helicopter, if you push, if you have a, a standard helicopter with, with the two blades, you put them parallel to the to the boom. If you push the stick forward, in other words, pushing down elevator when a helicopter is forward, um, the blade shouldn't move until you use the airline. And then, if you put them ninety degrees to the boom. Likewise, if you push the stick forward or backwards, the laser deflect, but not on the airline. And that's, that means the phasing is correct. Now, modern gyros on multi-blade helicopters do all that for you. That's why when you set up a fly-bodies unit, it always tells you to fetch your radio to the normal, the default, which is one server. Yeah. Um, I bought myself a 600 size MD500 and transplanted um, QX600 mechanics in it. I then built 
hand, handmade a cockpit for that and flew that at the 2009 British Nationals in the first ever gas helicopter comp that they had at the British Nationals. And I was flying against Len Mount uh, and Martin Briggs, who the helicopter guys here will know. Len Mount is, was a, a world, multiple world champion. Um, and I became third in static, uh, which I was quite surprised, but came sixth in, in, in sorry, fifth on the flying. Um, but it was a good experience. And it was my first major competition that I'd got into. Um, because up to then, I hadn't really wanted to take a step into competitive flying. I was just flying for my own satisfaction. That MD500, then I ordered a, a five-blade head from, from the States. And I went down to my local model shop and I spoke to Mark Corby, who was still running the shop. And I said, I'm after some carbon blades for this, but I need them all the same weight. So he finally went through about 20 odd blades, collected five for me, and I set up this MB500 um, and set the phasing by adjusting the aerial and elevator mix on the radio. And I actually flew this helicopter with a five blade, five blade head on it, uh, 6S power, with just a 401 controlling the tail with no mixing, no gyro on the head at all. And it was a very good experience. It taught me a lot about the how, first off, how much the flybot those in those days did its job. Um, and um, a lot of our setup on the, on the helicopters. I mean, I would, in those days, I would, if I crashed on the weekend, that was it. I was on the shop during the week when I could, and I was rebuilding it to fly the next weekend. It was, it was just one of those things. And, and I taught myself, I put myself nose in um, my first circuits. I always remember with my ninth, with my, my my thirty, my Hawk thirty. When I was, it was I was running be oh not quite running behind it, but I was it was drifting away from me and instead of kind of bring it back, I was too scared to pull the stick back. I was actually almost running running after it. And 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 in actual fact, when I did my very first circuits, it was the same weekend as. Now this is going to sound a bit corny, but the Sandown Show, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. because Sandown Racecourse used to have a, a, an air show over two days. That's right. Um, the south of London, and I, I saw people like Alien Machinsky fly turbine helis there. And actually, in fact, I bought my Build Force Nine Super at that show. But it was that weekend. It was a horrible day. It was a bit like the days we've been having the last few days. It was grey and murky, and I was the only guy at the field. And I decided I'm going to be my first circuit. And I did my first circuit. I landed, and I just phoned all my mates. I was I was just just hey, I phoned my first circuit. Got my first circuit. It was like that. That's it. Now you know the reins are off. I'm 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 at full gallop. And and it just everything just went from there. Um. Anyway. Uh. I brought the radio with me and. I sold all my models except for one scale helicopter, which we packed up um, and shipped across. That came about, oof, must have been about uh, April, May, I think. Anyway, it was a 600 sized um, Cobra that I'd built. I'd sold my MD500 basically to build this. Um, very narrow. Uh, you had to, the, the actual main gear of the helicopter sat in the stub where the stub wings were. Um, it was a made by a company called Smart Model. 
At the same time, I'd ordered an Alouette 3 from Ron Road Knight, who at the, was up in Rodonga. He's now moved up to, up to Queensland. And um, I'd ordered my Alouette 3 with a three-blade head, three-blade tail. Um, and the reason for that is the Alouette 3 is probably my, my most favorite helicopter. And that's because it was our our mainstay uh, gunship and troop carrier during our the seventies war that we had in, in Rhodesia at the time, what they call the war, or the, what they now call the war of independence. Um, a very distinctive sound, sounded like someone with a can of bolts, very high pitched whine. And they used to fly over my place a lot. My dad just knew them. My my daughter's godfather was a tech on them. And friends of ours, you know, I've, I've known people who've been killed and injured. My grandparents actually were casbacked by them at one stage. Anyway, that's that's another story for another time. Um, so I met up with Ron actually at Marble Heli Club because I I joined them, and I was still flying at that stage. I think a um, a Mini Titan. I bought myself a Mini Titan. That was the first model when I arrived here, um, because I already had a job. With a big help, so I basically landed and I had a bit of money behind me. Um, I had a salary coming in straight away. I was staying with a friend for a couple of months, then got the place that I'm in now, um, moved in, um, and I was on my own for the first six months. So weekends was not much to do. Um, so I joined Marvin Heady Club and I joined Parks. Um, and that, I actually joined, actually, Parks was the first club I joined because when I'd come over, I brought Phoenix with me as well as well as my radio and i carried my radio in my, in my hand luggage got a few funny looks at hong kong and airport and all that with it mm. um and i'm staying with a friend of mine who's also ex-zimbabwean um and we put the put it on the tv i put phoenix on his laptop put it on the tv and we were all having a go at this and i got actually got him well not him so much but i got his son to fly and we went down to parks because they live in patterson lakes and parks was the obvious choice yeah and I met Addie Hampson and actually Cole Bison were the two first two guys I actually met. And I, th- you know, I said, look, you know, this is where I, I showed them my membership card, and they said, yeah, okay, you, you can fly here today as a visitor, but you've got to get your, you know, membership. And I said, no, 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 no problem, no problem at all. And I actually taught my, I, I started my first, what I first started doing at that club was actually teaching my mate's son to fly. He bought an apprentice, and that that he flew that the literally the wings off that airplane. Um so I was flying parks, I was flying um uh Melbourne Heli Club. Melbourne Heli Club I was just I had a few sport helicopters. I bought myself a, a um I got myself a TRX seven hundred. Uh actually met uh Matty Carmichael's X machine. And I think it was Jeff Sussman said to me, he said, you can loop and roll, can't you? Yeah. He said, well, why don't you go and fly in a competition? I said, well, never given any thought. And that, up to that stage, it had just been the flying for the for fun. I, mean, I, I wanted to, you know, my helicopters really, I wanted to go to scale route. Um, and um, so I think it was... 2013, 2013, I flew in the big dates at Northern. Um, there's about 18 of us. I think I flew in Novice against, and Nick Sabafi and I were the only two flying nitros. We both had nitro T Rex 700s, I think. And I think 
I came third. I'd have to look. That's a long time ago now. Um, and at this, that time, I started meeting guys like Mark Twan, who at the time was a Australian champion, Brendan Tucker. Um, and Mark Twan had two uh, best impactions, I think they are, uh, 720s in bodies. And he was trying to he was selling them because he'd been offered a deal to try the new JR stuff. Oh, yeah. So, and the Nationals that year, 2013, 2014, was held over Christmas, New Year, up at Twin Cities. Uh, and that's, uh, so the pattern and the so FCA, FCC pattern helicopters was, I think, at Twin Cities itself. And they, there were other, it was a bit like when we were, when we were at Whit Wailong, where you have aerobatics here and, yeah, you know, lots like, of different events happening at the same location. Different, different spots, yeah. Um, so that actually, that, that was, the, that was my first big national competition. And I threw the, I went up on the Thursday, we, we set up the quest and I think I'm by that stage I was in sportsman. I might've flown, I think I'd flown the sportsman and I threw the quest and I think I came third again. I think I just, just came third again. Um, by this day I'm now. Now I'm starting to get into the competitive sort of flying. And I flew regularly um, up to, I think, I, I think expert. I've got to expert, which is the one below F, the FCC class. Um, I flew against Stevie Markman a lot, and he beat me every time. Hmm. Um, Dennis Bilby, although Stevie and I are very good friends now. Dennis Bilby, I got to meet him and fly against him. Um, even Russell Edwards, I flew against him for uh, in one comp. Um, um, unfortunately, uh, IMAC never really, I'd, I'd seen IMAC because at parks that, that, um, that had, that held a 50cc comp there. It was only limited to 50cc because of the, the location and it was on the east-west runway. And, and I had a, I actually had a yak with a 30cc. It was my first petrol model, but I thought, nah, 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 not for me, sort of thing. Um. But it it sort of I like the type of flying. Um, I, I remember in the UK going to an air show and watching Ali Machinsky doing 3D with a helicopter, and I was impressed. But after that, it didn't really didn't really excite me. It wasn't my sort of thing. And it's the, sort of the same. I watch guys with little fun flies doing the freestyle, and that again. Didn't really excite me, but watching the the aerobatics, it was it wasn't pattern as such, but it was scale aerobatics, and because it was big and there was petrol and there were nice airplanes, I thought hmm, this was quite nice. Anyway, I never really gave it, I gave it much thought after that. I was still sort of well entrenched in my helicopters. In actual fact, helicopters by then was my main hobby. I was mainly flying helicopters only. That's right, because I knew you as a heli guy. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever so, I heard your name, it was like, oh, you flies helis. Yeah. Um, and so I used to switch sort of between Park and uh, and Marble Helix Club. And in actual fact, I think around about 2018, I was, I was vice president of Marble Helix Club at the time. Um, and we would hold sort of monthly fun flies, which was like a, a pseudo sort of aerobatic comp, but all the 3D boys would 
all ran away to freestylers. They, they, they weren't really interested. Um, but that started to tail off. Um, and then we had the Nationals at West Wylong, and they put us on the West Wylong Morocco field, which was just red dust. And there was no electricity. We had to bring generators. There was one, I think, one or two toilets there. Um, there was no catering. You, there was a van that used to come around and take your orders and that. Um, and they put a, a basically a tarpaulin down for us to where our hovering point was. But obviously by, by lunchtime with the wind and that, it was just covered in dust. And dust and helicopters don't really mix at all. Uh, when it came to 20, that was 2018. When it came to 2019, um, the guys, Brendan Tucker, um, Paul Sanders and that, they just said, no, we're not going to hold the helicopters there if, unless you change the venue. And I think the MAAA said, sorry, but that's the venue, because they wanted to put it back in the same venue. So we never actually had a, a, a Nationals, I think it was April, um, that they had. We never actually flew helicopters. So what we did was they changed to what they called the Australian Masters, and they held it at Kudamundra in the August of 2019. And um, Unfortunately, that was the very last F3C comp that we ever flew. And it doesn't look like, I mean, I'd love to be proved, proven wrong on this, but it doesn't actually look like it's going to be another one. No. That, uh, I think we've seen the um, the demise of the heli movement and you know trying to find proactive people that want to reinvigorate it, I think is probably a bit limited. Yeah, um, I mean, I know Brendan. I mean, I, I haven't talked spoken to Brendan Tucker for a long time. He used to, he was very instrumental in, in in a lot of it. Um, he stepped away. Um, Paul Saunders, um, he's moved up to Queensland now. Uh, I know Dennis said that. In fact, in 2019, Dennis actually had designs to fly to actually compete internationally. He wants to make the Australian team, um, but it. It was. It wasn't. It it what it, it, it hasn't happened, unfortunately. And and like you say, inside the demise. I mean, I know freestylers closed down, um, and a lot of those guys moved across. I think it was just before COVID. I think I could be wrong. I could be yeah. corrected. Um, a lot of guys moved across to Melbourne Heli Club. Um, I left because um, a lot of the guys I was practicing with. Um, Matty Carmichael, he'd, he'd, he'd left the club, he'd stopped flying, he had a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of um, personal things there to deal with. Um, a lot of the other guys I was flying with, um, had they'd, they'd, they'd find other interests, I would to think. But I was starting to become the only guy really burning up the sky, if you know what I mean, using lots of sky, in other words. Um, and like I said, 3D, I actually did give 3D a go once. And it, it scared the pants off me. My wallet grabbed onto my leg saying, what do you, how do you think you're doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I actually, the helicopter, I actually sold the helicopter. I flew it four times. I, I said, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do something stupid and break this thing. So, and I, 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 I realized that scale was my, was always my passion. I think that came from my era modeling, my plastic modeling days. Scale was always my passion. And, um, and then, uh, and I like the pattern. I like the precision flying. I like the pattern. I like the F3C stuff. I really enjoyed that sort of flying. Um, so fast forward, um, I, I can't give you a year. 
2017, I thought, hmm, okay, well, I've done gliding. I've done aerobatics, I've done helicopters, I've done, I've done scale, I've done competition. Let's try jets. All roads lead to jets, as I say. So a an ASM, plastic fuselage Panther, came up for sale. And I got hold of Wayne Newman, who was our key flying instructor and also turbine inspector, and also ran at his hobbies down in Karen, which is just down the road from me, where I bought a lot of stuff from. Um, I said, could you come and have a look at this jet for me? And he agreed, and we drove across to the other side of town. It had a Kintec 80 gas start turbine in it um, with about, I can't remember, 12 hours or something on it. Um, he ran it up for me. I paid him. It wasn't, wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, and we took it back. And I did a few changes to it. I discovered that the it had three tanks in it. Um, but the sort of the last tank that you'd be running on was actually in one of the wing saddles, which to me would make it sort of really unbalanced by the time you came into land. So I did a bit of rearrange all the plumbing, which wasn't really easy. Because this thing was designed for inducted fans. So there wasn't a lot of space inside to get your hands into change tanks and all that. Picked with the tanks in there already. Um, and I threw it uh, I threw it down at um, down at Parks. There was a couple of other guys flying jets. One of them was Benny Blackow, who actually took video of mine. And as it would happen, I have a legs I had a legs uh, legs hang up, one of the mains hung up. Turned out like the little pin that holds the scissor um would bent. So the leg, they were pneumatic retracts, and the leg was jammed in the well. So my very first landing was actually nose wheel and one main. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I, so I, I got the wheel down, and and Wayne said to me, said, "Look, if you want, we can you can do another flight with this gear." And I said, "No, no, look, I want to sort it out. I want to get it all better." So we we scheduled another day for that, and I fixed everything. I'd actually put an air trap in now as well. And I took off, and it was, wasn't my mate, my wife, um, and it, was, it wasn't anybody else really at the field of the day. It was a nice day, though. Anyway, if you know the louder parks, um, I was taken off to the south. I think it was to the south. Of, I think I was taken off to the, to the south. I can't remember now. Um, and been in the flight a couple of minutes, and I rolled it, and I think it sucked air in because the turbine shut down. But it only, it only, as only as it came sort of, Past the point of the approach, if you were coming to land from the south of the main runway, that that that, that, that I heard this when you saw the streamers fuel come out the back. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'll bring it round and I'll get it down on the east west. And I discovered that the Panther doesn't glide very well because it it took a turn and it carried on turning and became a pile of plastic and balsa wood in the middle of the field. Um, just outside the boundary of, of, of Parks' field. Um, so I thought, okay. All right, didn't deter me that. Um, the turbine got sent off to King Tech for repairs. It luckily it wasn't too damaged. I think the starter needed a bit of needed the sort of mounting was bent on it. So they gave it an overhaul and all that. And I bought myself an Excalibur and did my jet certification on that, through that quite a bit. Um, then I had a and I bought a takeoff on wet grass and it slid through the fence at the end of the runway and which yeah. chopped the off. But the wires chopped the vertical pins off. 
I've had uh, I've had a run in with the, those wires before. Yeah, I'd like to <laughs> yeah, jump out at you. There's been a few of that field where guys have misjudged and caught tail wheels and and whatnot. Yeah. Um, or flying through. In fact, my the, the youngster I taught to fly with his apprentice, his apprentice threw through the fence, yeah. um, and uh, took chunks of daylight out of the out of the wings. So I bought a a second hand unflown Excalibur in the uh, Thunderbird scheme. Yeah. And uh, through that, uh, went to a few tech meets, and then the last tech meet was at Mangalore, and. And I was really getting into it, and I was really enjoying it. And then I could smell fuel. I couldn't smell fuel, but I couldn't see any leaks or anything. Anyway, the last flight, it was it was like it was running at half power. It was the turbine was nappy, so I bought it and pulled the the canopy off, and there was fuel in the bottom of the fuel blush. I thought, oh, oh, I've got a leak somewhere. So we drove home via Bunnings, not Bunnings, sorry, by Woolworth or Coles, one of the supermarkets, bought a bottle of baby powder. Pulled all the electronics out. I'd, I'd made the, I'd actually made the fuel system, so the air trap and the pumps and the um, the solenoids and we sat on top of the main tank. So you just had to disconnect the power leads and the whole lot would come out as one unit. You know, disconnect the. So I was able to quite easily actually get in and clean all the fuel out. And thought, hmm, this is an expensive thing. This this jet. Um. Then a mate of mine sent me a flyer for, no, I'm not sure of the timeline, but it was around by that time. Sent me a flyer for an IMAC try, come and try it out at Penn Docks. That's right. Okay. And Michael and Dretic hosted the thing, and there was a, quite a few pilots out there, and, um, well, a lot of them are now flying. It was, you know, Keith, Rob, Simon, Stevie, of course, um, Ben Rustic, uh, and there were a few other guys I can't, can't remember. And, um, I, I thought, okay, so I sold the jet. Sold, actually sold everything. The jet, the extinguisher, the fuel, the whole lot. All I kept was the stand. Um, and I bought myself a little S-back uh, with a 30 on it, 35 refills on it. Then my mate's old airplane, in fact, as it happens. Um, but I hadn't got it ready in time to take down. So we went. I went down to the sink. As it happens, the mate's mind flicked me the flyer. He never, he didn't bother. He didn't show up. Didn't get to come. Um, so anyway, Michael sat through, explained what it was all about. And I said, well, look, you know, I'm an instructor. I've got gold wings, helicopter, gold, gold wings. Is that sort of like a factor in the sort of thing? He says, no. He says, people won't judge you on, on, on that. They won't think you need to be here when you, you judged on, and he explained everything, you know, the scoring and the points and all that. And, um, Went through like the RST diagrams, and we got a like a, a, a little booklet of uh, this one of the stick planes that you've seen on the videos that you've taken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we went out, and it was like a have a go type thing. And because my plane wasn't ready, um, I was still flying JR, but I I started to no by that time I think I stopped flying JR, and I was nah, I lie, I was still flying JR. By that stage, I had an XU-14, which was flying on my helis, and I'd also had also, but I was also flying Spectrum. Um, because I, by this stage, become an instructor, um, I was doing a lot of teaching at Park, and most of the guys were flying Spectrum because a lot of them were coming from the shop where they were being advised Spectrum was the way to go. So it made sense to me because the, the XU-14 by this stage was on DSMS, not DSMX, as where that's where. The, 
with the idea and brought out their own proprietary system. Um, so I buddied up with Steve Maltman, in fact, and through his um, through his big extra that uh, he I think um, had a bit of an unfortunate fire in the caravan incident with that. Um, anyway, it that got me interested. I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a go. Um, I, I sort of did a bit of practice when sorted out my little 30 CCS pack, and that was now 20. 2019, 2018. Um, so the first competition, that was about July, I think. And the first competition I went to was actually the Victorian State Championships up at Newbridge. Um, and I rocked up there on the Friday. Was that the dusty and one? Uh, really I think it was quite dusty, yeah. It's where they had the Nationals that year as well. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the Nationals, yeah. Probably the guy, the pattern guys used to go and fly there as well. Um, it was yeah. first guy I saw there, the only face I recognized when I got there was actually um, Michael Andresic. Um And then I met, I started meeting a lot of the other guys um, who, who were flying, um, who, who were also sort of relatively new pilots, but also some of the more seasoned pilots. And, and in actual fact, I went out to practice now, I'm coming from a XVC mindset where you call in the box, you do your maneuver, and you and then you fly out the box and you call out the box. You know, you're only doing one maneuver, so whatever you're doing, it's it's one maneuver. Obviously, with iMac, it's 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 a lot different, and um, even the turnarounds and things like that are different. Things you can and cannot do. And as it happens, I went up to fly, and, and again, the only guy I really know is Michael and Jessica, and because I've met him. And he still said, oh, you're Anton to you. And I said, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was actually Scott Bardney um, from New South Wales was down. And he came and called for me. And he gave me a lot of pointers. And started to explain to me. And I said, look, you know, I, I've flown airplanes for a long time. I've done a bit of pattern. I've done a lot of FCT. You know, but I'm, I'm the, the format is slightly different. And it was, it was a bit of a slightly different transition. It wasn't just a drop-in sort of transition. Although some other pilots might think otherwise, because by Saturday night, I'd already got my promo point in one basic. And the reason I went into basic was I thought I'll give basic a go just to see what it's like. Okay. And that was, that was, that was the, that was the thing. It was more for my, to see for myself if I really wanted to, really wanted to get into it. Uh, helicopters by the stage had sort of tailed off a bit. Went away from helicopters now, and I was now steering into a new, new sort of direction. I'd done, I'd done the jets, I'd done the sort of the fun fly models, I'd done scale, I'd done the helicopters, I've done the scale helicopters, I've done the, the competition. Now we're sort of taking a, a new, a new step. This was now, in fact, I'm a person who doesn't like praise, if that's the right word. Mm. Um, I get embarrassed when people say, "Oh, a really good job for thing," you know. I'm, you know, even when I'm work, I, I, I'm paid to do a job. I don't do the job for someone to say, well done, thank you for doing the job. You know, I'm, well, I'm paid to do this, you know. The satisfaction I get is, is the, the thing's working and, you, and you're able to use it. And I'm sort of like that when I'm, when I'm flying, because I've also found when I fly, if I fly competitively, I, I actually fly worse than I do if I don't fly competitively, if that makes any sense. Yeah. If I don't put myself under pressure, then I fly better. The bug hit me. And I thought, okay, 
Now I'm going to really get into this competition. I unfortunately missed the the um, the, the nationals, uh, which was at Newbridge that year, I think it was. That was the, the ASAA nationals, not the not the yeah, yeah. nationals. The yep. nationals. Twenty nineteen rolled over. On this stage, I bought myself a Pilot Yet fifty four. Sorry, yeah, Yet fifty four. Um, with a DLE fifty five on it. And a canister, and I started flying that in a few comps, and I was, I was actually doing quite well. I, I was going to win um, basic. I was still doing flying in basic at the time, and I was still flying against guys like Rob uh, Barbudo and Simon, and they were also, I think they'd gone in with about I think fifty side models at the time. I can't remember. They'll probably correct me if they if they hear this. Um, and we had the, and again the nationals with West Wylong, so I'm pretty sure that was 2019. Um, and because we flew off the, the, the airstrip runway, the main runway of the airstrip, and I went basic. Where are you up to now? What category are you in IMAC? I'm an intermediate now. So, so I, I, I did have a bit of a, a, I did take a little bit of a break. Um, I think it was 2020. Uh, and in the 29th, I'd, I'd ordered, what I'd actually happened is I'd, I'd, I'd got all the DA and I'd ordered the new 2.7 SPAC. But in the purple and orange color scheme, as opposed to the traditional red and black, and it was the pilot kit. And normally with DA, you put the order in. They didn't get say to you, okay, we're about to put the order in because we've got enough numbers to build a container, and they take a deposit. And they never got hold of me, so I never heard anything. So I think it was we were up at a Cuca. Yeah, I was up at a Cuca. I think it was the big states, and I was flying atrociously. And um, I started talking to the guys there, and Riley Stills at the time had been flying an SPAC quite a bit on his freestyle stuff. I said, guys, look, you know, and I, I went to the guys, I said, look, I bought, you know, I've put an order, but I haven't heard anything. But I'm thinking of maybe cancelling that order and, and buying myself an extra. And because um, DA at the time at uh, 330LX in the yellow and black and red uh, 2.7 pilot kit in stock. And I said, it will fly better. It will, it will. It will need. They said nothing on the SPAC, but the SPAC will need more work to get dialed in as opposed to the extra. I thought, okay, got all the DA. Um, Mark then came back and said, well, <laughs> the SPAC's on the water, but don't worry about it. We'll get rid of it, and we'll sell you the 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 the, the Alex. So he told me the Alex, um, and I flew that. I won. I think Sportsman. At Northern, the first comp, which is the February comp, and I was still a sportsman at the end of the year. I think we had the big. I think the big race was at Echuca. I think I came second. There was this young guy, um, um, Matthew Wernerson. He won. Kato, that's it. Yeah, he. I think he won sportsman, and I came second. Let's have a look at um, what what's currently in your hangar now, because I, I saw. Some of your planes a few weeks ago, and your heli, your scale heli, your, your bell. Give us a rundown of what you've got. So, so the old um, the LX, the poor LX, which was the, the carbon fiber strands, that got replaced by an E flight, uh, one tw- uh, two point six meter NG, the new NG, which is a makes me look good. Yeah, it's the airplane. I can trust you. I can I can assure you. It's a nice plane. 
Currently, currently, currently in the hangar. Apart from that, I have, um, uh, believe it or not, I have a Phoenix Hawk turbine. So I've got back into jets after get, thinking jets. I've been there, done that. I've got a Phoenix Hawk turbine, which unfortunately hasn't flown yet. Um, I have a twenty-plus-year-old top-flight Vital Bonanza, eighty-one inch with the one-piece wing. Yeah, it's a very nice plane, that one. I actually won the best of billion at the Monteterra, the first Monteterra I flew in a couple of years ago. I think it was 2022. Yeah. Um, because I missed last year's because we had Armacon. Yeah. So 2021, 2022 was, was the one I missed. Um, that's got a nice one, 20 in it. I have a, um, I have a uh, Black Horse, uh, it's a P56, I think, uh, Trojan. Sorry. Provost, not Trojan, Provost, which people quite often think is, is the wind yield. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they look similar, but they're actually completely different airplanes. And what doesn't help is that the on the Rip Max videos for that particular airplane, or the Black Horse videos, it shows the, and even on the box art, it shows the undercarriage the wrong way around. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, the wheels sort of tow in like on a, on a hurricane do, they, they had the wheels on the inside. Um, that's probably that. That's uh, I think uh, 60, 1.6 meter wingspan. That's the uh, OS 15 petrol. Um, then the airplane you saw me flying uh, on the weekend is my fairly new. That was the, the prior to the Monte Carlo. Then he had two flights. It's a Seagull Cessna uh, Caravan, which has got the uh, DLE 35 rigs exhaust in it. Um, running, it was running in a 17 by 8 prop, which I unfortunately broke on the Saturday with a dead stick landing in the rough. Um, now running a, an 18.8 3 blade prop, and which was actually much better suited to that. That's a very nice airplane. Has a few funny characteristics that you should be aware of, but otherwise, really, really nice airplane. Cruising around half throttle, no problem. More than enough grunt. Yeah, that looked good in the air, that plane. Yeah. Uh, the then I have a a timber evolution, which is one of my hack models. So probably about the only biggest sort of foamy I've got at the moment. Um I have a micro tundra. I have one of the very old Hobby King um fun fighter, Sea Fury fun fighter, which is very battle scarred. I've ripped the wing off that doing low-level passes over tufted grass and things like that. Um uh then my my sort of other hack model is the Hangar 9 Ultra Stick, which runs success. That's uh, what I, I do a little bit of testing with that for iMac, and I actually bent the push the elevator push on that big negative snap. So I think that's something I'm going to watch it. Um, those are currently my flying models. What about your helis? What about the scale helis? I'm getting onto that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so then, heli wise, I have. I have the big Roban 49, which I've had for about four years, and finally on the weekend, plucked up the courage to put it in the air. It runs 12S. Um, currently, uh, I replaced all the servos on that because um, I was advised um, that the servos in there weren't that reliable, and I got that from a vendor as well as a, other pilots. So, um, that that got its first outing. 
just the same week I acquired that's the 700 size, by the way. Sorry, that's 700 size running four bit bronze on top of this, um, 12 S power, uh, full cockpit that, that has the what they call the compactor mechanics. So, mechanics sit in the top, a bit like the old Herobo that fed mechanics, and they used to call it. Um, I then have I've just acquired a another Roban kit, which is the Bell Triple Two, which was done in the uh, Mercy Air Flight um, paramedic scheme. That's an 800 size. That's also 12 S. Um, that is currently in process of being set up, so I've only had that about a week. Um, then my hack model is a Soxos. Uh, 550, which runs 6S, which is, I don't know, a lot of either the helicopters I've thrown, and I have thrown a, a fair bunch, uh, but I'm not an expert. And I'll say that not in case. Um, but the Foxus was one of the, it's one of the smoothest 550s I've thrown. Very, very nice mechanics in it. And I've just started building, well, I've just built, just finished it now, a Strike 7, which is the 700 size version of that same helicopter of the 550. Um, strangely enough, I got rid of all my 700s because I wasn't flying competition. I thought, I'm not doing iMac. I'll just keep one helicopter as a hack, and I've sort of gone again back full circle, same with the turbine. Um, I then have a little Gooski S2, which is about a 400-size electric helicopter. Also, it's a classy, uh, very nice model, uh, out of the box uh, that was supplied. That's also supplied by Foxus Australia. Um, that's a, I think that's a comps quite often. Um, I have a little E-Flight, uh, the BR-105, which is based on, the, I think, the Bell 130 mechanics. I have a, a very old Hobby King, well, not a very old, but a, a, an old Hobby King. I can't even remember what the, the make is, but it's a, an AS350 squirrel, about the same size, about a 130 size as well, so quite a small little helicopter. So, um, runs, I think, around a US battery or something like that. Uh, and the beauty of that is the transmitter if you push a button in the middle of the transmitter, it automatically changes it from mode one to mode two, which is quite, 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 quite fun. What mode do you fly? I fly the correct mode, which is going to piss off a lot of pilots, which is mode two. Yep, mode of champions, I say. One, one stick, okay. And I'm going to hear all the mode one guys yelling at me. No, don't worry about them. I'm a mode tour. Um, um, then, then what I've just acquired for myself more as a joke than anything else was a, a Twiston, what they call it the Twiston Ninja 250. And it's a little, comes as a little transmitter, and it's it's a sort of, it comes in a small little box. It flies off over on a little 1S pack. I think it's a 1S pack that's charged by USB. But it's something I can put in my suitcase and take with me when I go flying. Well, sorry, when I when I go to hotels and when, I, when I'm away for work. Because um, I can fly, it's small enough for me to fly around in the hotel room. You know, that's how, that's how nice it is. Um, I have a Night Radian, which is the, the, the flight test one, the earlier one. Um, the flight, the flight test guys did, uh, and I have a, I think it's an ASK or an ASW17, which is the FMS one, which is 2.6 meter, both foamies. Um, then, then at the moment on the board, I am just started building the 98 inch Seagull um, L19 bird dog, which will have a yearly 35 in it. Um, and I also, and the reason I've got that is I've got the Seagull Cessna 337, but the O2 variant, so the, 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 the military variant, okay. although it's the same, 
to change the covering, which is the push pull, the, the twin. And again, that's a, an airplane that I like because we used to have those as well um, as counterinsurgency aircraft where they mounted twin uh, brownings on the, over the wings. And they were used for target marking and, and strikes on, on camps and all that. My uncle owned a real one. Oh, very nice. Very and, nice indeed. And I remember yeah. talking to the mechanics used to work on it. And they said it was a nightmare of a plane to work on. Very noisy airplane inside Ireland, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so because I, I, I did have a, a an L4 grasshopper, the Seagull Cup, which I flew at Shepparton. My my very first mammoth, and it was a it was a mud bath basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I flew I flew the Cub there, which ended up in the canola. Um, but when this when that was a Seagull model, I sold that um, essentially because. Because I'd bought the 337 or the 02, um, I thought, okay, well, I'll get the bird dock. They're two aircraft from the same era, doing the same thing, yeah. effectively. Um, and that was the thinking about it. So um, the bird the, the bird dock's going to be petrol powered. The 337 is going to be electric powered. Um, I'm probably going to run that on 4S, maybe hopefully two 4S packs than that. Um, but that's sitting in the box downstairs, whereas the... Um, the bird dog is in my office on the table with one wing, one wing on the table, because the corrugations on that they give you on the for the wings, you've got to cut them individually and do them individually on each of the control surfaces. And it doesn't look pretty at the moment. It doesn't look pretty at all. But um, I think that's about all the ones I've covered so that that are currently currently flying at the moment in my in my inventory. Well, there's plenty there, plenty there now. Yes, is to me you're you're pretty much really into the iMac at the moment because I've got this question here: is what does the future in error modeling look like? And and to me, it's more of the same. Would I be correct in saying that? Just more iMac, more fun with different models. iMac, iMac has just exploded. So so the Nationals was a really good turnout, and then the first comp of the year is always is always northern at. at um, at uh, at uh, uh, in February, beginning of February, and I think it was like two weeks, maybe was it two weeks before the comp? And Darren Mickham put a post up saying, "Guys, it's full." We're going what? And he said, "If you want to, if you want to get in, put your name on a waiting list, and if a guy drops out, you get you in." And I think last last year we had the first comp, we had about eighteen pilots, I think. And this year we we were well over thirty pilots. I think so we I think about, about thirty two pilots. I think I think entered. I think it was either twenty nine or thirty pilots in the end actually flew. Yeah, there was a couple of last minute pullouts, but um, but yeah, and it, it seems to be going from strength to strength. That we know we've covered the IMAX scene a fair bit um over the years, and yeah, it just it's really really flying at the moment. And I think it's a newer crop of pilots, and they're just really enjoying. Just not just the flying, but the social aspect of catching up with each other at the field, and uh, and I think that's going to continue on for for a fair while as well. So um, yeah, it's 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 really really flying. That that's definitely what I I mean. That was one of the things I did find with the Armac guys. Um, that it was like a little, it was like a family. Okay, you still get um like your sort of little group, like your caller and, and pilot. You get a bit like the guys who sort of stick together. But overall, I mean, it is quite, it was like a, my first impression was 
the guys are very welcoming. I mean, like I said, Scott Barley, I didn't know the guy from a bar of And he started giving me advice. I'm going, and then I found out he was like, you know, flying unlimited and all this. I'm going, wow, okay. You know, and he'd, he'd never met me before, didn't know, didn't even know how well I flew. And he was there giving me pointers. And I thought, you know, that's really nice, you know, where someone like this just out of the boots come and talk to you and start chatting to you and, and giving you help. And I think that's what's happened. And that's also, I think, maybe what's contributed to the dynamic being growing. Yeah. Is that we've encouraged it. We've got it. And we are, and we are getting younger guys coming in. Well, and we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and um, really interesting, uh, very interesting to hear your story from the Zim- Zimbabwe days. Like, that was just phenomenal. I was just sitting back taking it all in. But we've got to that final question. That final question is the one that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to, and it's going to be a tricky one. I don't know how you're going to answer this one, but what has been your favourite all-time model? Beach Bonanza. Your the Bonanza you got. Bonanza. The Vita. Uh, fixed wing, Beach Bonanza, helicopter, toss up between the uh, use five hundred and the Alouette. We're talking about the, the RC models here that you've owned. Yeah, I've had. Beach bananas. I've had. The, I've got the Alouette three, yeah, uh, six hundred size, and I've had the five hundred AMD five hundred D. But RC models, past and current, is the Beach Bonanza. It's my all-time favorite tool size, and it's my all-time favorite um, RC. To give an example, uh, in, nine, in the late nineties, I ordered the limited edition top flight kit. Uh, with a good profit, I couldn't, um, I couldn't afford the undercarriage for it. So, Robot, I wrote to Robot and they actually sent me one to one drawings of the undercarriage, which a friend of mine started to build. We we're going to make them pneumatic. And he'd made the legs. Um, I was building at my mate's place. He had a year 20s garage into a workshop, he had a big table in, in the middle of his garage. And, um, I had the plans laid out for the Bonanza because it's not like it's a built, it's a proper kit. It's a built up uh, one piece, uh, 81 inch wing, it's 16 inch at the cord. That was the VTAL. I actually went and got pictures of a full size that I was going to model. Um, things changed. I left the country. Um, I moved to the UK. I had a plastic model of the of the Bonanza, of the Bonanza, a 148 scale plastic model of a VTAL again. Um, then. This friend of mine that I, that I used to model with, he's also a bit of a Bonanza fanatic. And um, we packed one down secondhand in 2011. We drove, I don't know, 100 miles or whatever to go and pick it up. Um, brought it back, spent that night at his place in his garage, redoing all the wiring and, and getting it all set up. And then we discovered, we took it out to the field the next day to flight, discovered an issue with the engine. It had, a, I think, an ASP-91 on there. Um, so we went down to the, and bought it. We we bought a um, an OS ninety one, and flew that at, at his at his at, well the field that we were both members at. Very very small field. You had to give the plane a bit of a push because the runway wasn't long enough. Um, then he bought me out of my chair. He still has that airplane. He has three E flight Bonanzas. He has another top flight Bonanza, which was a RCM and E review model, but in the A36 uh, configuration with this conventional tail. Um, he's also got the two two of the VQ ones. He's got the VQ B tail and the VQ conventional one. Um, I, when I 
in Australia, I bought the E-Flight one with the VTAL, um, which I sold to a friend of mine who still flies it. And then I bought the VQ one uh, through Addy's Hobbies, and I bought the scale undercoach for it. And I flew that, kept that for a while, and then VQ brought up the banana, sorry, the Baron, which is basically a twin bonanza, the original, which was sort of its life as a twin bonanza. And I built that. Um, had a guy at the club beg me, bug me for that airplane. So I sold it to him. Um, the, then an RC trader, a top flight retail bonanza rook came up for sale. And, um, I got on the phone straight away, got on the guy. He said, yeah, still here, come down. Um, I sold my VQ, uh, my VQ one, came down, and um, it had been built by a member of his club who since passed away. The guy kept the airplane, he'd hold on to it, hadn't flown it much. I said, I'll take it. And I still have the airplane, I hadn't flown much. Um, that, the other sort of pickup with iMac is it, it has tended to dominate my, my flying career, or my flying life, so to speak. Um, which is why my jet hasn't flown yet. Um, because I've been uh, with a step up to intermediate. The iMac is 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 now become a bit more serious for me if I want to really do well in it. If you know what I mean. But yeah, the Bonanza is 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 the one. Well, and it's been a pleasure having a chat with you. As I said, I've seen you around the traps, and and I always love to interview people and hear their story. And Gee, you've got a story, and it's a very extensive story in model flying. So, big thank you for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I hope a lot of the listeners don't fall asleep listening to me, but if they do, they'll get a good night, good night rest. That's for sure. But yeah, thanks, thanks for uh, listening to me and and um, and uh, hearing what I have to say, and um, it was much appreciated. About to leave, already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. What an episode, a mega episode, we'll call it. Uh, big thank you to Aunt Sisley for joining me. Uh, love hearing those kind of stories. I hope you did as well. Now, if you did like it, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform. Leave us a good rating so that other people can find it as well. Not that I make any money out of it. It's just that I'd like to spread the love. That's what we're here to do. Let's spread the love and keep people engaged in the hobby that we all love. And speaking of that, don't forget, subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's some, I did a bunch of videos recently. I'm going to do more uh, when I'm at the flying field and can get out. So uh, we will do more. But uh, And also the Facebook page, Instagram page, all that. You know the, you know the drill. Hope you are enjoying the podcast. If there's any guests that you'd like to hear, on the podcast yell out send me a message get on the flatoutrc.com.au webpage or the facebook page is a good way get on the flatoutrc facebook page and send me a message I'm always going to see those so big thank you for joining once again i'll be back with another guest i haven't lined it up yet but i've got two weeks so there will be somebody if not how about me for a couple of hours talking to you it's not gonna happen anyway Get out flying. Hope you're enjoying the hobby. Uh, big shout out to everybody overseas. Thank you for listening. And of course, if you're in Australia, get to your local events. Plenty happening around this time of year. Make the most of it. Support your local clubs. Talk to you soon.